welcome to the RG Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing whistleblowing. I'm David Ashley and I work for Mark Bates Limited Insurance. I've worked in and around direct payments for many years in various roles. I've also been an active member of the London Self-Directed Support Forum Organising Committee for over 15 years. Hi there, my name is Rachel Harkin. I'm Head of Employment Advice Services at Independent Living Group, trading as IOG Support. I'm passionate about supporting individual employers by any means possible, but for the purposes of our podcast conversations, I'm going to be looking at things from the legal perspective, with a special focus on employment law. The content of this podcast is for general advice only. For specific cases, always seek legal advice. Okay, let's get started then. Um, I have to admit, whistleblowing isn't something that comes up a huge amount, um, or has come up a huge amount in my professional life. Um, I've supported people on direct payments in various roles, um, you know, very familiar with different types of dismissal, disciplinary, grievance even. Um, But whistleblowing is kind of a concept I'm vaguely aware of, and I'm sure many people listening will be aware of. Um, But I think I tend to associate it with other industries, um, not necessarily individual employer sort of sector. So I wondered if what might be a good place to start, Rachel, is we, would be for you to give us an overview of um, whistleblowing, kind of what what does it protect employees from and, and, and how do we kind of start putting that into context? Okay, so very briefly, the idea that is there is protection for employees, protection from both dismissal and suffering a detriment in their employment. Detriment can be anything like disciplinary action, reduced hours, reduced pay and so on. They have protection if they have made what's called a qualifying disclosure that essentially is alleging that the employer is in significant breach. So they're saying perhaps I think you are breaking a law or you are committing a criminal offence, something that is um, saying the employer has breached rules, laws, principles and so on, and that that disclosure has been made in the public interest. So it's broader scoping than just that one individual employee. It affects other people. So the idea then is that an employee is allowed to make these disclosures. They should be taken seriously and they should not suffer a detriment for having done so. Okay, so far so good. So the employee raises an issue, a potential disclosure. There's been a breach of rules, laws, principles, something that um, they feel strongly enough they have to raise. Um, And it's not just in their interest, the wider public interest comes into play. So far so good. So, um, I mean, can you define in a bit more detail then what constitutes a qualifying disclosure? Yes, so a qualifying disclosure means any disclosure of information which, in the reasonable belief of the worker, falls under the following list. That a criminal offence has been committed or is going to be committed, that a person has failed or is likely to fail to comply with a legal obligation, doesn't make it clear exactly what that is, just legal obligations generally, that there has been or, or may be a miscarriage of justice, 
It could also relate to health and safety. If there's a concern about health and safety, perhaps in the workplace or even outside of it, that the environment has been or is likely to be damaged. And of course, that any information tending to show one of the issues that we've just described, that the individual is actually deliberately concealing information in relation to one of those items. Okay, so we're talking about in the public interest um, and we're looking at things like a breach of a legal obligation, potential health and safety risk, a miscarriage of justice or, or even just a criminal offence. Something that the employees picked up and they need to alert somebody to. They're being protected for raising, blowing the whistle. And what might be a stupid question, but what is to stop an employee using the protections afforded to them under whistleblowing? Um, perhaps as a counter grievance to a disciplinary or something like that. No, not a silly question at all, because it's got to be the kind of disclosure that has a significance. It's got to be important. It, it can't just be a generic, um, you know, complaint, maybe voicing a concern or, or raising an allegation. It's got to be, I believe you have done. I believe that you are breaching one of those provisions that we've just listed. So it needs to be something important and, and something hard hitting, let's say. So generally speaking, we think of a disclosure being made to the employer or somebody who perhaps is acting on the employer's behalf, an agent of theirs. Um, But also the regulations do set down a list of prescribed people to whom disclosures can be made, which actually would make it a qualifying disclosure. So it's not a qualifying disclosure then if you just raise an issue, if you raise it directly with your employer? has to be somebody on the list? No, not only. It can be a qualifying disclosure if it is made to the employer and or somebody on that list. Okay, sorry to labour this, but could we possibly just explore in a bit more detail the difference then between raising a concern and, um, you know, officially blowing the whistle? Okay, so I've already said that disclosure of information must amount to more than just voicing a concern. So let me give you an example. Um, let's say we've got we're, we're in the area of COVID. So we've got an employee is going, oops, you know, we've run out of PPE this week um, or something to do with self-isolating. There's just a general conversation about whether or not that's necessary in the UK, something along those lines. These are perhaps issues that are being raised, voicing concerns, but they're not actually going that next step. So the next step would be to say, we have run out of PPE and I believe that you are in breach of our health and safety requirements. You are not keeping the employees safe. Or I have to self-isolate. I have been notified by the government and if you force me to come to work, you are breaking the law by doing so. The first lot, not a protected disclosure, just general conversation, issues being raised, but perhaps not taking it to the next level, such as the second lot, where we're saying, actually, you, employer, are in breach of some sort of illegal principle, health and safety rule, um, and maybe even committing a criminal offence. Okay, so if they do raise a disclosure then, and the employer is um, upset about it and decides they don't want that employee to work for them anymore, perhaps they dismiss them, what, what are the consequences? Well, the really important thing I think that we need to stress and the major message that I wanted to get across today is that a dismissal for having done so 
is automatically unfair. So that has two key things to to remember that one, the employer doesn't get to say, yes, but it was reasonable in the circumstances. And two, there is no qualifying employment necessary to bring a case of automatic unfair dismissal. So this conversation could have happened on day one of employment. If they are dismissed for blowing the whistle on day one, they will get an unfair dismissal award. It's also worth noting that this applies not only to an active dismissal where the employer has chosen to terminate the contract, but it also applies to constructive unfair dismissal as well. So this is when the employer has been making things so difficult that the employee resigns as a result of that. They resign, let's say, in retaliation to that, stating that the employer was in fundamental breach. I'd imagine in the context of supporting employers with disciplinaries, encounter grievances from PAs, you must hear lots of accusations against employers coming from PAs um, feeling hard done by during that process. We do. We do. Now, it is a requirement in order to for it to be a qualifying disclosure, then the, the disclosure must have been made where the, the employee has got a reasonable belief that the employer truly is guilty of the things that they are alleging. So it is necessary. I mean, that's, that's one of the ways in which an employer could defend it if they could prove that it was done in bad faith. Then they wouldn't get the protections. However, I do think it's worth mentioning now, and it's not something that we generally go into because we often talk quite theoretical, let's say, as opposed to putting things into practice. I think we've got to recognise that where there is a potential risk factor that this employee is, has, raised, has blown the whistle, even if we think it's in bad faith, the chances are that we're going to advise an employer to just be a little bit more cautious as to how they react to that. So let's say, for example, we've got a PA who is saying, actually, I can't come into work, I've got to self-isolate, and in you forcing me to come to work, I believe you're breaking the law. <clears throat> even if they actually don't believe that to be the case, even if they're just raising it as, as um, you know, smoke and mirrors to get away with the fact that they're being lazy and they just don't want to turn up, let's say, and the employer truly believes that this is what the case is. That they're just being lazy, they don't want to turn up, and I, I don't actually fully believe what they're, they're just throwing allegations at me to try and avoid their own problems. Um, it's still sensible to manage that well. We've still got to recognise that if the employer kind of goes in like a bull in a china shop and dismisses an employee, there is a risk that the employee will later claim unfair dismissal and raise it as a whistleblowing protected dismissal. So I think I also just want to take this opportunity to highlight to people, if this is, um, let's say, a trigger, an alarm bell would go with us as advisors, that this incident is one of the things that has led to this dismissal, we are going to be much more cautious in the way we guide you through it. What we're likely to do is say, well, let's let this period pass. Let's let that particular thing pass on let's get this worker back into work and then we will tackle the core issues which is their excessive absences or just general laziness or not being good enough at the job so if you were representing the personal assistant then um in a claim perhaps it might actually be beneficial to seek out a potential whistleblowing element yes absolutely because of course you might have issues perhaps there's concerns about the deadlines whether or not you've got a, a decent unfair dismissal case without the whistle blowing it might be 
that you've got somebody who is under two years service, so they don't qualify for a, a standard unfair dismissal case. If there's something that you can latch onto, let's say, and, and there's a potential for whistleblowing, then why wouldn't you? You know, we've got to think that once we get to the point where uh, they are in a dispute situation and the employee is looking for some sort of a settlement, then it becomes a matter of strategy. It's also worth noting that if the employer wanted to deny that there was a whistleblowing case and wanted to really focus on actually what was the core reason for the dismissal, they actually genuinely believe it was something else, it was high sickness absences or it was conduct, whatever it may be, um, it would still need to be tested in an employment tribunal if it got that far. You know, you, you're not likely to be able to knock out a whistleblowing case in the early stages through some sort of a preliminary hearing. All of the evidence would still need to be heard. So you kind of feel like, right, we're engaged in this now right the way through to trial. And the chances are, well, that's going to give the claimant a greater opportunities to organise settlement in the meantime, because it takes cost and energy to get that far. So it's just one of those issues that I would like people to be hyper aware of. Certainly our advisors are whenever we're hearing facts of a case, whenever we're finding out what's gone wrong in the relationship between employer and employee, this is one of those red flags that we are going to be picking up on. And so this is an ideal opportunity to explain to everybody uh, why we might be asking more probing questions above and beyond perhaps what a support team is, has been told. We might dig a bit deeper. We need to know the depths just in case something like this is sitting under the surface. So, David, I think it would be interesting to ask you, from your days of working as a direct payment support advisor, can you think of incidents that you came across where you're now thinking, ooh, was that a whistleblowing issue? Yeah, good question. I think there are some incidents that I think maybe could fall into that category or certainly could have. Um, I think a recurring theme is one where the uh, there's a discrepancy perhaps between the employer's view of what is safe and the person assistance view i think sometimes people on direct payments individual employers have a very specific idea about why things should be done so i'm thinking about transfers and, and kind of manual handling perhaps um and i know i've been involved in situations where personal assistants have perhaps done similar tasks elsewhere um in a different way perhaps they've had two two pas or two carers uh, to conduct particular tasks or they've used different equipment and I know you know there have been um, situations where employer and PA have fallen out as a result which may may have contributed to um, a parting of the ways and I do wonder actually whether in hindsight those situations would have had potential for whistleblowing if if indeed the PA were claiming that the way the employer was asking them to work was unsafe so yeah in that in that context um that's those are the kind of scenarios that that spring to mind yeah you're quite right we've had many 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 calls along those lines over the years and i think actually in you highlighting those sort of health and safety perhaps the conflict of of approach that the employer and the pas would have uh, can have on occasion it's it's worth noting that the way in which we would tackle that advice is to say 
what is the safe way of doing things? You know, we've got to remember here that this isn't just about giving PAs what they want because they're pointing the finger and saying you're in breach. This is about just simply going through a process and demonstrating to that PA, assuming that the employer has risk assessment and has taken those steps that you've just said, that the employer is doing things by the book, that they are keeping people safe, that they're not breaching laws. You know, the employer doesn't have to just roll over and say, okay, have anything you want. What we're saying, though, is that the employee cannot be suffering a detrimental dismissal purely because they've raised it. That's the difference. The employer doesn't have to just simply say, yes, okay, I'll give you everything you want because you're complaining. They can go through that communication and say, look, we have risk assessed it. Here's an OT assessment. Here is all of the evidence that shows this is safe to work in this manner. They can do that. What they cannot do is they can't say, how dare you raise this issue with me? You're dismissed. That's our whistleblowing case. Okay, thanks, Rachel. That's great. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. I'm sure anyone listening will have a newfound awareness for whistleblowing and some of the issues surrounding it and how they might apply to individual employers. Thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been really great to talk about a topic that perhaps hasn't come onto people's radar before. Okay, until next time, that's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. The content of this podcast is for general advice only. For specific cases, always seek legal advice.